0: This conference will now be recorded.
1: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again as we return to our Hebrews study. We are in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're ready now for verses 25 and following. Hebrews 12, verses 25 and following. We've been in heaven for the past couple of weeks, looking at verses 22 through 24 with a long list of uh,
0: people and places and things, the present experience of the church. And I think we're ready now to move on from there. Let me get back, get our Bible open here.
1: Hebrews 12:22. 22, 23, 24, we covered last week, and we'll move on this morning to 25 and following. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking for our Father's
0: faithfulness to bless our study, shall we pray? Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your
1: faithfulness, rejoicing in the blessing of our assembly, calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to oversee everything today, the technology, the uh, the message everything Father uh, we are entirely dependent upon your grace and your mercy we thank you for the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit might He open our eyes open our ears and soften our hearts we thank you Father in Jesus Christ's name Amen so in looking at verses 22 through 24 we understand that as believers as church age believers we're not just uh, saved and waiting to go to heaven when we die. We're actually saved and already in heaven right now. Spiritually speaking, we operate in the Holy of Holies. We operate within the veil. You have come to Mount Zion. That is a completed act. This is the reality for New Testament believers. If you are saved, then you have come to Mount Zion. That's what it means to be saved in the church age. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels in festal gathering, to the general assembly, and a church, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And so in the past two or three weeks, we've been looking at these concepts Let me advance our slideshow to where we are now.
0: As you can see, we've done a lot in this chapter already. All right. Mount Zion is the heavenly Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem,
1: the uh, heavenly Jerusalem that will descend to this earth after uh, the millennium. Myriads of angels in a festive gathering as they rejoice church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven this is us we are the ecclesia of the proto the church of the firstborn and we are enrolled in heaven when our when the roll is called up yonder we're there now we're not going to waiting to get there we're there now so in a sense that i like the hymn i'm not trying to knock the hymn but when the roll is called up yonder i'll be there i'm there already because uh we are enrolled God, the judge of all, spirits of the righteous made perfect. These are the Old Testament saints. This is uh, uh, Adam and Eve and Seth and, and uh, Noah and Daniel and Job and all the Old Testament saints. They are still spirits. They're not yet bodily resurrected. They're waiting for the Revelation 20 future resurrection, whereby they will receive their future bodily standing. But they are there already as the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we understand, and to the sprinkled blood. Sprinkled. It is the sprinkled blood. It has not yet been applied to the nation of Israel. Sprinkled on the heavenly temple, sprinkled on us, but not yet applied to the nation of Israel. It has to be poured. It has to be applied. And uh, Israel has to be brought under the rod of the covenant which doesn't happen until after the tribulation at the second advent of Jesus Christ. But it is the sprinkled blood, and that sprinkled blood speaks. And uh, that sprinkled blood speaks loud and clear. It is a well-spoken message. It is the ultimate testimony. It is the only thing God needs to hear. Uh, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is the spoken testimony, the well-spoken message of the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what we have come to. And because of that sprinkled blood, we have come to the uh, heavenly Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. And thank God that none of us came to Mount Sinai. None of us are under law. None of us are under an external legalistic standard that we can't measure up to. All of us, by the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ, have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, and this is where we worship, this is where we serve, this is where we minister, all that we do is done in the heavenly places in Christ, and so we're learning these lessons in the book of Hebrews, we're learning these lessons in the book of Colossians, and what a joy to have these two classes really dovetail the way that they are. All right, now as we move on to Hebrews 12, 25, we get to this next section, which takes us to the end of the chapter, really, 25 through 29 and um, we'll handle I'll have uh, points of study for verse 25 26 27 I will combine 28 and 29 there at the end but see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking so when we left off in verse 24 with with uh, the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel all of these witnesses are speaking. The blood of Abel speaks. Even though Abel's dead, he still speaks. Abraham speaks. The whole Hall of Fame from chapter 11 is still speaking. And Jesus, of course, is speaking. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And now with this speaking that takes place, we have the warning. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, and of all the warning passages in Hebrews, I think each one we come to, we've come to some terrible warnings, warnings in chapter three, chapter six, chapter ten. Here's a here's our final warning for the book here in Hebrews chapter twelve, and uh, it is a see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape. Who turn away from Him who warns from heaven? So this is uh, again a very serious warning, very similar to the ones we've had before. In some cases, the worst of all, uh, because the consequences are so dear. We, I thought the warning in chapter ten was pretty dear, where we were uh, the, the scripture said that we were in danger of trampling the cross, trampling on grace, and despising the blood that redeemed us. Well, this uh, this warning as well, I think, is pretty pretty severe see to it you do not refuse him who is speaking we have a paragraph here starting at verse 25 and then concluding with verses 28 and 29 and this paragraph is is framed by these these uh, expressions it starts off with do not refuse and then it says offer in verse 28 So verse 25 starts off with, do not refuse him who is speaking. And then at the end of the paragraph, it says, offer an acceptable service. Let me get these back up again so you can see how the whole paragraph is framed from top to bottom. Verse 25 at the top, verses 28 and 29 at the bottom. Let's put this back up again so you see the framing. And then I'll get the point back up so you can see it. Let's start with just the the whole text. You, we start with the c to it do not refuse him who is speaking and then the uh the exhortation of verse 28 offer to god an acceptable service with reverence and awe so don't refuse do not refuse is listed there i'll just color it red so we don't miss it and then offer to god an acceptable service with reverence and awe Because if you refuse him who is speaking, you will never offer to God any kind of service, much less an acceptable service. And uh, this this kind of establishes the, the frame for the paragraph, top to bottom. Don't refuse him who is speaking, and then offer to God an acceptable service. And we do so in gratitude, with reverence, and awe. We'll get to that when we look at verses 28 and 29. So those are the parameters for the paragraph. This paragraph is framed by do not refuse him who is speaking and secondly, offer an acceptable service. These summary imperatives, and they're both imperatives, do not refuse as an imperative and offer to God an acceptable service. That's an imperative. We should all have something to offer we offer ourselves as living sacrifices we offer our giftedness we offer our ministries we offer everything as as a sacrifice it's not just the minister the pastor who has a service we all have service and in order to offer the acceptable service we better digest the uh, the doctrine that chapter 11 and 12 are uh, are giving us these summary imperatives finish the opening exhortation from chapter 12 in the heavenly context. So we have really what, what this paragraph is doing here in 25 through 28 is taking the whole chapter and is boiling it down. Remember that the chapter began with fixing your eyes on Jesus. The author, the, the chapter began with fixing your eyes on Jesus and laying aside uh, encumbrances and the sin that so easily entangles us. Uh, it's it's a, It's a restatement of that. By do not refuse him who is speaking. Him who is speaking is Jesus and the, the, the blood of Jesus. So fixing your eyes on Jesus and it's taking it now to the heavenly context of verses 18 through 24 on Mount Zion before God, the judge with the, the, the myriads of angels in festal gathering. Uh, it, it takes our priesthood and puts us in the heavenly context. And this should be a thrill. This should be a thrill because Uh, It doesn't matter if we're not permitted to return to Cross Park Drive anytime soon. It uh, it, It's irrelevant whether we can go into the building or not, because we are in the heavenly places now, that we are standing before the God, uh, the, the creator God of the universe right now. The Melchizedek priesthood is operative now. And so we should not refuse him who is speaking, and we should offer the acceptable service. As this paragraph tells us to do, we do so in a heavenly context, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So do not see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Israel, as any reader of the Old Testament understands, Israel faced inescapable consequences. (laughs) Inescapable consequences for defiance of Mosaic law. And he told them that right from the very beginning. He made the nation recite the curses. Remember, Mosaic law is a conditional covenant. It has blessings and it has cursings. And uh, when they accepted Mosaic law, uh, the Lord had them uh, divide up. They put six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on the neighboring mountain, and they recited back and forth. They recited the blessings and they recited the cursings because under Mosaic law, if they were obedient, then the Lord would bless them in the land. And if they were disobedient, if they were in defiance of Mosaic law, there would be cursing. And as they recited this, as they, as they echoed across and imagine, you know, being positioned in the valley in between those two mountains and hearing the, the recitation, six tribes on one side six tribes on the other side imagine the uh the experience that would have been and uh this is this is how they uh began as a nation and they and they did this and they accepted all the terms well there were inescapable consequences guess what the church age is far worse far more severe far greater consequences the church faces much less escapable consequences. And if if uh, if you need to reword that, reword that, because I reworded it about 20 times. <laughs> Either much more inescapable or much less escapable. And you got to you got to phrase it the right way so you're not saying it backwards. Uh they had inescapable consequences and our accountability is greater so if their consequences were inescapable, ours are much more inescapable. You say, well, how can you be more inescapable than inescapable? <laughs> inescapable seems, uh, seems infinite. Inescapable seems, uh, like it cannot be escaped. So if it's inescapable, how do you have much more inescapable? Well, this text says we do. And, uh, this is where we, we recognize that in the church age we are functioning in dimensions of infinity and beyond infinity this is where we have we can understand what surpasses knowledge and we we enter into dimensions of priestly service that almost defy description uh in us in as inexpressible joy and uh things of that nature so if uh, if they had an accountability we have the greater accountability and that's what I'm trying to say with this point. So, uh, phrase it how you'd like. We either face much less escapable or much more inescapable consequences for defiance of heavenly grace. They defied law. We defy grace when we go carnal. That's terrible. And, uh, this has been the nature of many of these warnings that we've already covered in the, in the course of this book. Let me get my Bible back up here and raise it up to the top of the screen so i keep the keep the point going there you might recall this uh, similar
0: logic was already addressed in hebrews 2 verses 1 through 3 in this context uh, which i believe applies to angels more than israel but that's
1: neither here nor there regardless of how you understand the uh the application of verses 1 through 3 Uh, It nevertheless establishes a proportion which is so much greater. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. That means we have the greatest accountability. We, church-age saints, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, And I realize that most commentaries apply this to the Mosaic Law and the Sinai episode for Israel. I think it's deeper than that, and it applies to angels. And their word proved unalterable, so that every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we neglect so great a salvation. And uh, you see the logic here. We must pay closer attention. If they received a just penalty, how will we escape? As a rhetorical question, we can't escape. There's no way we can escape. They couldn't. Why would we? And it's uh, it's expressed here as a logical uh, intensity that we have the greater accountability. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. And so the New Testament church, with a completed canon, has the greatest accountability of any human beings that ever walked this planet. So that's the accountability that was given there. How about Hebrews ten, twenty-eight and 29? This one explicitly is the law of Moses. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment? And, and by phrasing it this way, by leaving it as a as a rhetorical question, you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself. And and uh, how much severer? Oh, only infinitely super, uh, severer, uh, because grace is so much greater than law that uh, to whom much is given shall much be required. And we've been given so much more than any Old Testament saint was given how much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who ha- and thankfully grace uh, grace makes what we deserve irrelevant we confess our sins we're restored to fellowship we're forgiven we're restored but this whole idea of deserving who has trampled underfoot the son of god has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace insulted the spirit of grace. Understand this is what we do when we go carnal. When you and I decide that we're going to live in defiance of the Bible. The Bible says uh, don't do something and you say, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway." And uh, I'm going to become my own god. I'm going to do what I want to do. And uh, what Hebrews 10 says is, you know what you're really doing? You're trampling underfoot the son of god. You're stomping on Jesus. When you decide you're going to be carnal, you're regarding as unclean the blood that he saved you with. And you're insulting the spirit of grace. Do you think uh, that might line yourself up for some vengeance? (laughs) Well, vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those are pretty severe expressions. And the author of Hebrews is not trying to scare anybody that they're going to lose their salvation. It's worse than that because you can't lose your salvation. You can remain saved under the doctrine of eternal security, but be under the vengeance of God as he administers divine discipline to your Christian walk. And in a lot of cases, uh, the sin and the death is a mercy. Ananias and Sapphira were, uh, God was very merciful when he just killed them with the sin and the death. And Mosaic law was pretty merciful when it would stone somebody for, uh, violating the Sabbath or trying to pick up, uh, Trying to save uh, manna for an extra day, or trying to go out and gather manna on the Sabbath, things like that, or picking up firewood on the Sabbath—you uh, know, these these lawbreakers uh, were, were stoned. And uh, and and we say, wow, that's a stoning to death. That's a severe punishment. The New Testament tells us there is a severer punishment by not stoning you, but by the hand of God's judgment coming upon you. And uh, in the age of grace. To to despise grace, to insult the spirit of grace, and then to open yourself up to the discipline of the Lord, this is the severe punishment that we see. And so uh, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing. And uh, if chapter 10 is ferocious, chapter 12 is is more ferocious because we're told our God is a consuming fire. And, uh, that's the, the warning that we're given in, uh, in our passage today. Also, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 11.
0: <clears throat>
1: the warning that was given, Paul, uh, wrote about this in, uh, 1 Corinthians, talking about the experience of the Exodus generation. I'll go ahead and back up to the top of the chapter
0: here so we understand this context. Oh, yeah, the the pericope headings, by the way, you know
1: these little publishing verbs. Um, they're they're not in the Greek. They're not original to the New Testament. They are, uh, in fact, they're they're unique to whatever Bible publisher you happen to be reading. This is a New American Standard Bible, so these are the pericope headings that uh, that are given to us by the Bible publisher. Avoid Israel's mistakes, and and I I, I can go with that. That's that's not a bad. Paragraph heading there. But what the word of God says is, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, that the nation of Israel was redeemed. And God brought every Jewish person out of Egypt. He regathered everybody, every Jewish person, whether they were saved or not. They got they were free from their Egyptian slavery and they got to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That is, they identified with Moses as their redeemer. And they all ate the same spiritual food, whether they were believers or unbelievers. All the Jews in the wilderness were fed by the manna. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. All the Jews in the wilderness, whether they were believers or unbelievers, Moses could strike the rock and the water would come. And uh, this is the provision for them. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock is Christ, or was at that time Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. And and really, 1 Corinthians 10 is um, kind of a miniature version of the book of Hebrews. Uh, we get one paragraph here that Paul uh, writes to the Corinthians. And the author of Hebrews writes a book about uh, the, the fact, especially in the early chapters, where uh, they failed to enter into rest and God was not well pleased with them. With most of them, he was not well pleased. They were laid low in the wilderness. Only Caleb and Joshua were able to enter into the promised land. The rest of that generation died in the wilderness. And I hope we're good on that. We understand the, the uh, doctrine we understand its application it is typology it is a warning for us that uh, notice none of them were returned to bondage in Egypt uh, the red god didn't re-part the red sea and push a bunch of rebels back through into Egypt and so we we uh, we understand the typology we understand the metaphor nobody loses their salvation uh and yet with believers today i have to ask myself uh, as god surveys Christendom as he looks out across planet Earth today, and all of the the redeemed that are standing upon planet Earth today, with how many of them is he well pleased? It, and uh, you know, we can't answer that, but I think uh, we can we can probably biblically consider that it's the minority. It is the the few that are bearing fruit thirty, sixty, or a fold. That it's the straight and narrow, and I think as a ratio. It is a small number. All right. With most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. We're supposed to learn from their mistakes, that we don't imitate that, that we would not crave evil things as they also craved, and do not be idolaters as some of them were. You know, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to eat meat like the Egyptians ate. They were craving evil things. They made for themselves a golden calf. They even brought idols with them out of Egypt, we find out later. The people sat down to eat and drink and they stood up to play. They took advantage of, of the 40 days Moses had up on the mountain by uh, a great national orgy, if you will. They were, they were, uh, literally, they were fornicating and worshiping the gods of uh, fertility and all the rest as they made that golden calf. Nor let us fornicate, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That's another episode. And uh, Phinehas, the son of the high priest, got to go in there and ram a spear through and, and, and save Israel from the plague. Verse 10 says, Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. That was when fiery serpents were biting them. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. And these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And that's, uh, that's quite a term there. The ends of the ages have come. The, the church age is uh, a unique age in the unfolding of God's plan. And uh, the fact is that we have a Hebrew canon. We have a Greek canon. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have the Alpha to Omega plan of God having been revealed to us. We have so many things that are given to us. The, uh, accountability is so much more severe. To whom much is given shall much be required. And so you'll notice every time they were accountable in, uh, in, uh, the golden calf episode, did they escape consequences? No. In the, uh, Moabite women episode, did they escape consequences? No. In the, uh, bronze serpent episode, did they escape consequences? No. And, uh, likewise, grumbling and with the destroyer, they never escaped consequences. How much less escapable are we in the church age? That's the, uh, the point being made. All right. Accountability is more Severe. Verse 26. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. I gotta get my Bible back up for you. Are y'all opening your own Bibles at home?
0: Are you just being lazy and watching your screen? (laughs) I don't blame you. I mean, there you go watch the
1: screen his voice shook the earth then all right so in contrast but now all right there's then and there's now then uh, was at sinai when israel was receiving the law now is uh today do not refuse him who is speaking his voice shook the earth then And there was, there was an earthquake and it was a terrible, terrifying experience. And those that were at the base of the mountain, uh, were, were terrified. And even Moses, when he was up on the mountain, had a, a personal fear that he had to subject to the will of God and endure as he, uh, was face to face with, with, uh, face to face with, uh, with the Lord. So he shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And, uh, it's kind of an interesting promise. It's, uh, it's a statement that says, you think that was something? Just wait. Just wait. Uh, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? Because shaking a mountain, how about shaking a planet? How about shaking a universe? That's that's something to behold and this is what we have to look forward to and this is what we are supposed to be looking forward to remember it's according to his promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells what so how could we be looking for that unless something happens to this earth first something happens to this heaven first all right and it indeed has been promised and it's according to his promise that we are looking for new heavens and a new word. So the coming shaking, what we all have to look forward to. The earth shook when Mosaic law was given, but the universe will shake when the unshakable kingdom is manifest. We're going to have a shaking of not only the earth, but also the heaven itse- the heavens itself. The entire universe is going to be destroyed. And we have a prophecy here that's given in the prophet Haggai. Amazingly enough, remember Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi? Uh if you're learning your old testament book order and uh and you're struggling because the minor prophets are hard to remember, so you uh you force yourself to say it over and over again, faster and faster. You go in Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, let's see, did I get right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum zephaniah haggai zechariah malachi wow okay and if you're if you get rusty with it um we all get rusty with it and um this is what we deal with and so um we we ignore haggai (laughs) and we say oh he's a minor prophet anyway uh what does haggai possibly have for us well he has a lot including this prophecy here and the author of hebrews uh makes good use of the prophecy here and so we will uh, we will look at it. I don't think we have to prove this uh, too terribly about the earth shaking when uh, Mosaic Law was given. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The fact that back in verse 18, we did not come to this mountain. Uh, we come to the heavenly Mount uh, Zion. But this is the mountain they came to when they passed through the Red Sea. They came to a mountain that shook. Uh, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And to a blazing fire, to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. So this is the mountain they came to. It's described in Exodus 19 as a great quaking, a great shaking. Exodus 19 and verse 18. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. And uh, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So this is the terrifying episode, and this is the shaking that is uh, spoken of, and the contrast that is being drawn and the author of hebrews draws that contrast and he draws that contrast pretty vividly but it is based upon the prophet haggai or haggai haggai the original party animal haggai haggai means festive and uh, a a festival is a hag and uh in haggai would be my party my festival and um as a and as a as a prophet I don't know that he was very popular <laughs> I don't know that when he uh, when he arrived in town and started preaching that the uh, Jewish people felt like uh, it was much of a party because uh uh like Zephaniah like Zechariah like Malachi I say these these post exilic prophets had to uh, chew them out they um they had survived the captivity. Israel had returned to the promised land and, uh, they had built a temple or supposedly they were going to build a temple, but they just kept delaying and delaying and things were, uh, slow. A lot of the Jewish people got more involved in their own lands, their own farms, their own property, uh, building up their own homes and, uh, taking too, well, way too much time, uh, being real slow about building the temple. And so, Effectively, the message of Haggai is, "Hey, get it in gear, consider your ways, and uh, uh, do what you're supposed to do. Make your spiritual priorities the first priorities." And uh, that you have the the message of Haggai in a nutshell here. But let's look here at Haggai chapter two, and I don't think we need to. Yeah, we can pass by chapter one. Okay, chapter two. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying. Now, this is a a prophetic message. It's going to be rebuking the Jewish people. These are the remnant that came back from Babylon. Keep in mind, I think it was roughly about 10% came back from Babylon the bulk of the jewish people were happy to stay in babylon uh living secular lives and prosperous and doing well and uh why why go back to a, a deserted land why go back to a devastated land a land that needs to be rebuilt a land that uh that uh is pretty uh pretty desolate and uh, so uh most of the most of the jewish people stayed scattered throughout the babylonian empire the persian empire but some uh, the the remnant went back and uh, they they did rebuild a temple eventually and and their leaders were Zerubbabel and Joshua these are two remarkable characters Zerubbabel is the heir of David but he doesn't get to sit on the throne as a descendant of Jeconiah he's under the Jeconiah curse he can't sit on the throne but he is the son of David entitled to the throne and uh, and he very humbly he serves as a Persian governor for the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and then Joshua the uh, high priest, or we might just call him Jesus. This is the the uh, Aramaic equivalent of uh, of Jesus, Jehoshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And uh, so speak to these people saying, "Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? You know, the real old timers that lived 70 years through the captivity, they can remember. Do you remember things from 70 years ago? We've got a pretty small subset of people in our church family today that, uh, you know, I can count on one hand. The number of people in uh, at Austin Bible Church today that are logged into this, this uh go to meeting that can uh tell me about things that happened seventy years ago. Because uh it's only that small handful of people that were even alive seventy years ago. And uh so these guys survived the captivity, they've come back. And he says, does this new temple not seem like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So as we're living day by day, we we don't get wrapped up with whether we have smaller numbers or bigger numbers or whether... You know, our temple is smaller than Solomon's temple used to be, or we don't, we don't get depressed by that. And if our ministry is, uh, is, uh, draws less than, than Baraka Church in its heyday, uh, we don't get depressed by that. Cause even Baraka Church today doesn't draw the numbers that they drew back in their heyday. And, uh, we don't get depressed by that. The ministry is what it is. And as we move forward, God is in charge and God's doing what he's doing. So we keep our eyes fixed on God, and we don't worry about it. Now take courage, Zerubbabel. And I love what he says here. Take courage, I am with you. And as for the promise, remember, according to his promise, as for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And this is a, kind of an interesting promise to make. Because when Israel came out of bondage they did not get the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but they promise that they will, and they promise that they will in the new covenant, the promise that they will in the millennial kingdom, and there is still a promise, and God is uh, going to make good in all of his promises. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. And so this is the prophecy of Haggai that is going to get uh that has such an impact in the author of Hebrews and the author of Hebrews is using it to have an impact among his readers so that uh that uh, those Levitical priests those former Levitical priests don't return back to their Judaism that they stay the course with uh, New Testament biblical Christianity so important God has made promises he will make good on his promises keep your eyes fixed and do not refuse him who is speaking. That we're living day by day in the church age with uh, with eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Anyway, here's the prophecy in Haggai, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and then lower in the chapter as well, verses 20 and following. But you're going to notice this. Um, once more in a little while. Once more in a little while. Does that bother you? does that bother you that he says in a little while and uh and this is a this is a prophet in the uh what the fifth century bc it's been 2500 years and he hasn't shaken the heavens and the earth yet he hasn't shaken the the uh, sea and the dry land yet but he says it's just a little while i will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And so this is even better than Adam Smith in the wealth of nations. This is uh, the Lord uh, Yahweh that's speaking here, that when he shakes the heavens and the earth, the uh, the Gentiles will come and bring their wealth. You know, in the, in the Exodus, they pl- the Israel plundered Egypt. In the millennium, they're going to plunder everybody. The four corners of the earth, every Gentile nation will bring its wealth. And then in the new earth, Every Gentile nation will keep pouring wealth into Jerusalem. All right. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the the former, says the Lord of hosts. Let me get down further in the. There's some other warnings that aren't as applicable to today in the Hebrews message. Let's get down to verses 20 and following. This is the end of the book. Haggai has two chapters, and this is the uh, the end of the book. The, uh, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So why does he have to get the message a second time? The first time was on the 21st day. Now it's on the 24th day. Why is it that there are some messages that have to wait for the third day? All right. And why do you have to hear it more than once? Because we're knuckleheads <laughs> we're slow we're thick this is how we learn repetition pound it in all right on the 24th day of the month saying speak to zerubbabel governor of judah not king not the king of david not the son of david even though he's the heir and he's in the line of christ read through uh, matthew and read through luke and when you look at the the genealogies there you're going to see zerubbabel in that list Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. And this uh, this is very much uh, in tandem with the whole book of, of uh, Daniel. This is uh, Daniel chapter 2. This is Daniel chapter 7. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms of the goyim, the nations, the Gentiles. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. And so there's uh, the promise of this, that the Jews are going to encourage, uh, they're going to encounter tribulation, but uh, God will deliver them. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, the faithful servant, has a prophecy to serve as a signet ring. And uh, here's an aspect of prophecy that's fun to consider because uh, Zerubbabel will be resurrected for the millennium, just like David will be resurrected for the millennium. David will rule as a prince. Zerubbabel will function as a signet ring. I believe all of the, resurrected kings of judah from david to solomon all the way down including the zerubbabel here all of the resurrected kings of judah will uh, will serve in the administration of jesus christ in different capacities all right i will make you like a signet ring for i have chosen you declares the lord of hosts here's a choosing here's an election that's different it's a personal election. Different from a corporate election. And these are the things you have to study when you study the doctrine of election. All right. Back to Hebrews 12 then. This is the backdrop. This is the prophecy. And this is what we understand. There is a coming shaking. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised. Saying, yet once more I will shake.
0: Not only the earth, but also the heavens. Let's understand this. The millennium
1: follows the tribulation, and together they constitute the day of the Lord on this earth. It is the day of the Lord on this earth. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth. We are not looking for the millennium. So this this is a promise. But it's not what we are looking for, and really, it's not what Haggai was looking for, and it's not what the author of Hebrews was looking for. The millennium is not what anybody is looking for. The millennium is simply the the uh, the, the culmination of tribulation, Armageddon, millennium, and then destruction of the heavens and the earth. All of that is is encompassed by this day of the Lord judgment i hope we're good on this some people get lost with these details all right but second peter 3 10 we're not looking for uh the millennium we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth the day of the lord is includes all of this let me get this up and running here second peter 3 the day of the lord will come like a thief now when we read the day of the lord passage this is this confuses some people because you can read Day of the Lord passages in Joel, in, a lot of them in Joel. You can read them in Haggai. You can read them in Isaiah. You can read them in uh, all the Old Testament prophets. Jesus speaks about in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Mount Olivet Discourse, a day unlike any other day. Um, depending on which text you're reading, the Day of the Lord applies to the Tribulation or the day of the Lord applies to the millennium, or the day of the Lord applies to the destruction of the heavens and the earth. And really, it's all the same day. It's all the same thousand and seven years. It's all the same day is the uh, the day of the Lord. It's the day of his wrath. It's the day of his conquering. And it's the day where as a conqueror, uh there will be certain limitations until the new heavens and new earth bring about the peace that was promised. So Second Peter three ten The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. The earth and its works will be burned up. Now is this the tribulation? Or is this the destruction of the heavens and the earth after the tribulation and after the millennium? I'm glad you asked. Some people try to say, well, it's the tribulation because of uh, certain passages. Let me tell you. What is it? What else does it say here? Verse 12. I need this bigger. Here we go. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. That doesn't happen in the tribulation. It does happen after the millennium. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, for the folks that try to tell me that this uh, day of the Lord judgment is during the tribulation, I don't know. How they, uh, how they have heaven and earth fleeing away. It just makes no sense to me. Alright. Revelation chapter 20. We are not looking for the millennium. Are you looking for the millennium? Why are you looking for the millennium? We're looking for the new heavens and the new earth. The millennium will be over before we know it. The millennium is in between verse 6 and verse 7 of Revelation chapter 20. Understand where the millennium is? Where is the millennium? Revelation 20 and verse 2, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. and He bound him for a thousand years. Is that the millennium? Well, yeah, he bound him for a thousand years and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. There's the millennium. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. There's going to be a resurrection. They're going to come to life and they're going to reign for a thousand years. So we have all of these references to a thousand years. Verse 2 has a thousand years. Verse 3 has a thousand years. Verse 4 has a thousand years. Verse 5 has a thousand years. See all these references to a thousand years? I'm going to run out of time doing this, but I, I don't mind doing this.
0: There's a thousand years. Color it yellow. Here's 1,000 years, color it yellow. Here's 1,000 years, color it yellow. And you're
1: thinking, wow, this has got to be a pretty big deal. 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years.
0: Verse five, thousand years, color it yellow, 1,000 years, color it yellow. And you think, something that's mentioned this many times must be important. Until
1: you get to verse seven, and they're over. Color it red. <laughs> wow, where did it go? A thousand years just like that. It's gone. It's done. It's over. And you say, I thought we just got here. It's over already? Yes, it's over already. And the real emphasis is not the thousand years. The emphasis as fire comes down and the emphasis as the, uh, as the, uh, judgment comes to an end here. Notice the great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. This, I think, in, in verse 11, this is the best description of what happens when he shakes the heavens and the earth, when he burns even the elements with with intense heat. There is nothing left. There is no place left, no place found for them. And so when the great white throne is convened, that's all there is is the great white throne. This entire physical material universe is gone. We still have, of course, the third heaven where God is. We still have the lake of fire where these guys are going to get thrown into. But all that's left is this great white throne. And the and then the unbelievers are thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, got to go quickly. I'm running out of time. So this is what we have to look forward to. A great universe shake. The biggest earthquake this world has ever experienced is nothing compared to
0: the great universe shake when uh, the earth and the heavens are destroyed. Well, um, hmm. we got stuck out verse 27. We still got verse 28 and 29. Let's take a look at what
1: we have and what we'll look at next week. This will be our Easter message for next week.
0: I'll save some of this for Easter. Getting back to uh, Hebrews 12. Here's what we'll look at for Easter Sunday. So, again, this is a warning passage. We are serving
1: the God who is about to destroy the universe. (laughs) Does that get your attention? Since these things are to be destroyed in such a way, what sort of people ought you to be? All right. So don't refuse him who is speaking. If they didn't escape, when they refused him who warned them on the earth, if they they didn't escape, when under mosaic law they had earthly warnings how are we going to escape when in the grace of god of the church age we are given heavenly warnings and his voice shook the earth then but now he has promised saying yet once more i will shake not only the earth but also the heaven we're going to have a total destruction on the way And this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain.
0: If you take away everything that's shakable, what's left? The only thing that's left is the unshakable. And you know who's supposed to be unshakable? You know who
1: is unshakable? You and I are unshakable we are the new creation in christ and we are unshakable and we've received a kingdom which is unshakable you know we don't always we don't always operate as an unshakable kingdom and you and i don't always operate as unshakable people but we're supposed to be we are unshakable we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken that's why we don't refuse him who is speaking And we are to show gratitude in offering to God an acceptable service. If we fail to offer to God an acceptable service, we are the most ungrateful grace recipients that have ever been. Because we are the greatest grace recipients that have ever been. And to not offer an acceptable service is the worst ungratefulness imaginable. We are the unshakable priests of the unshakable kingdom. Let us show gratitude by offering the acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This is this will be our Easter message next week. It's because of the resurrection. It's because of the reality of our Savior in heaven that we can be the unshakable priests offering the uh, acceptable service. Wow. It's going to be a good class next week. I'm already looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message. I pray that we understand how the author of Hebrews is bringing in the warning from Habakkuk, uh, not Habakkuk, but Haggai. And uh, Father, using it to remind his readers that there is a coming destruction of the heavens and the earth, that we have a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells that we are the new creation in Christ. We are to function accordingly. I pray that we take heed to the warning that's being given, that we not neglect it, because everything we neglect brings about a swift judgment. Judgment begins at the house of God, and you are the consuming fire. Might we be ever diligent day by day. I thank you,
0: Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.